0: Lord, we are so grateful for your presence, we're grateful for the truth that comes from the mouth of babes, and we pray that you would continue to move among us, Lord, continue to speak and have your way, and as you do, Lord, would you do a work inside of us that draws us close to you and changes us from the inside out. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, say that with me. Come Holy Spirit, amen. One of my dearest friends has two sons, 18 and 16. His oldest son, the uh, the 18-year-old, has autism, and he loves Walt Disney World. And so about a year, a year and a half ago, the whole family went to Walt Disney World. They had a great time, spent several days there, they lived on, or they stayed there on the on the site, on the property. And the last day as their time was coming to a close and they're leaving the park, they stayed for fireworks, they rode everything they could, used their fast pass, all the good stuff. They round the corner to get on the tram or to enter that portal where you get in line and get on the tram to leave the park. And there was only one tram that was working and it was just crowded, full of people. And you can imagine how my friend's anxiety might have heightened knowing that his child, he's not sure how he's going to react. He's watching him. He's watching the crowd. It's been a long day. It's been a hot day. Everybody is ready to go home. And all of a sudden, my friend's son starts to hum. And then he starts to sing. And the person next to him starts to sing. You got a friend in me you got a friend in me and the whole place started singing, so help me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, I don't even know how it goes. You just remember what your old pal said. Boy, you've got a friend in me. Yeah, you've got a friend in me. And then we're talking May, June, then this kid starts singing, Silent Night. And everybody sang, everybody. And it just dropped the tension in the room, in that space, and everybody left the park. It was a beautiful moment. I think it shows the power of song, the subtle power of influence, and the strength and power that there is that we have In community this morning we continue in the book of Colossians and we've said more uh, multiple times that Paul wrote the book of Colossians from prison and he wrote it really with two things in mind number one to establish a Christology that would stand the test of time and that's important because that helps us refute doctrinal error if we get Jesus wrong we've got everything wrong and what if those two things are one and the same A robust Christology will shore up and undergird right belief, worship, and practice. It will inspire holy living. If we get Jesus right, it'll affect all the ways that we live our lives individually, yes, but also much more so corporately. And so two weeks, two weeks ago, we talked about who is Christ, and we established that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And when we turn to him, it's not just that we get... a. Well, let me me back up because last week we talked about where Jesus is. Christ is in you. And when we turn to this one who has given us a full glimpse and understanding of what God is like and what God values, when we turn to him, he enters into us and we begin to live rightly, order ourselves and lives in a right understanding and in a proper way. It's not merely that Christ's presence is available to us to live inside of us. It's that those who claim his name, God's holy church, they are marked by the presence of Christ. He dwells inside of us. And that gets to the point of this morning's message. It's not just Christ in you, but it's Christ in us because when Paul wrote those words Christ in you, you was plural. And he may as well have written, Christ in you all. And if he were writing us here in East Texas, he might say, Christ in (laughs) y'all. Christ is in us. As God's holy church, he lives and dwells inside of us. And if this concept, this idea is new to you, if it were a muscle, it would very much be grossly underdeveloped like mine are, (laughs) if not completely atrophied. That's the way it is in most churches. Most of the programming in the local church is primarily concerned with getting people cared for, getting people connected, getting people educated, and all those things are good and right. But most of our churches are positioned for sociological purposes. The New Testament concept of community is primarily theological. It's not sociological. And so this morning, verse 1 began with Paul saying, Church, this is very important. I want you to get this in your head and in your heart. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. I'm striving. I'm struggling, straining with everything that is in me. Christ in me, Paul's saying, that we might get this. If Colossians were made into a movie, it'd be a pretty boring movie. But if it were made into a movie, these verses that we are in is the training montage. And if you've ever seen a Rocky movie, you know that Rocky experiences some element of adversity. And ultimately, it's usually his wife, Adrian who snap out of it. And then he goes into some training. That's always my favorite part of a movie, only to win the fight in the end. Paul is saying that I am so burdened that you get this hungry that you get this and both Paul's message and his ministry is marked by this sense of urgency and he gets to unpacking his purpose in Colossians 2:2 grammatically speaking this is one very long run on sentence It builds on itself, and it looks like, in our English language, there are three points, but it's really driving to one and the same point. And I want you to know, we could build a ministry, we could start a church, we could organize a movement around the truth that is Colossians 2.2. Paul's heart for this church that he's never even visited, his purpose in writing these people... First and foremost is that the church be encouraged in heart and united in love. And that's not a bunch of different things that Paul hopes for the church. The New Living Testament says, encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. The message translation says, woven into a tapestry. Of love that you can't break you can't rip apart the idea is that our love would be so strong that Christ's love in us would be all-consuming that we would be marked by this same sacrificial selfless love that was his that is him inside of us Yes, we read that individually, and we want that so much, but the truth is this word is for us. Anytime you see you, most of the time you see you in the New Testament, it's plural. And so in this instance, we need to step back from the trees and see the forest as a single unit. I've never been out to California to see the redwood forest, but I know that there are trees that are 300 feet tall, and what keeps them strong when the storm comes is how intertwined and interconnected their root systems are. That's where their strength comes from, the way that they are so tied and bound to one another, and even better, those that are closest to the water nourish the ones that are further away. They share their resources with one another. The church works the same way. And it's not if we are intertwined with each other or when we are united in love. It's that we are strong and full of courage, knit together. We are the church and there is one mind, Christ. There is one heart of flesh, We are his body and Jesus is our living head. Y'all, we are marked by holy love. And the next point builds upon this first. Marked by holy love so that we might have the full riches of complete understanding. An abundance of comprehension, complete riches, confidence in, in a word, better word, conviction. Conviction. When Ta talks about full riches, he means to say, church, it's so important that you get this. This concept is so valuable. It's invaluable. He's making a case for the church. We are marked by holy love. And the point he's making, holy love, let me start over. Holy living is shaped and marked by holy love. You can read it. But it gets better. Because this run-on sentence is driving to a point that we may know the mystery of God. There is a difference between knowing about community and really experiencing it. There's a difference between knowing about Christ and doing all the things, but really knowing Christ. A difference between knowing about bread and really experiencing bread. I can take your best recipe on bread. I can measure ingredients and be a chemist and make it and knead it. I can set the oven's temperature and watch the clock as it bakes. But that type of knowledge doesn't satisfy. It doesn't feed. It doesn't sustain or give life. A.W. Tozer said, life doesn't come from hearing about the bread. Bread only nourishes us when we partake of it. There is a difference between knowledge and knowing. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up the body of Christ. Knowing is intimate. It is an experience. And what the Apostle Paul is building to is this. The object of our understanding is the mystery of God. It was previously unknown, but the prophets foretold of it. God's secret plan, this mystery, has been revealed. And when the time was right, God stepped down out of heaven. He lived and he died a brutal death, placed in the tomb. Jesus was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And when he did, because he did, he went from being right here on the outside of us to right here on the inside of those of us who claim his name. Jesus Christ is the one who lives inside of us. Sometimes I wonder if we've done a disservice to the church and only preached a gospel of half-truth. Yes, Jesus' death on the cross for our sins is one thing, but his resurrection power for the living of our daily lives is everything. Praying to receive Jesus Christ, acknowledging my need, acknowledging him as savior, that is good and right, but it's only half truth if we leave it at that. We haven't preached the rest of the story, the whole of the gospel, where Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And so in our baptism, we have died with Christ. And as we come out of the water, we are raised to new life. What if at our next baptism we get down into the pool and we lower the kid, the child, the adult? You have died in Christ and we leave them there to do a dead man's float, isolated all by themselves to go at it alone. But I wonder if that's exactly what we preach and what the systems we have been tapping into and utilizing have created. Church, the power that flowed through Christ that that raised him from the dead, it, it enables us to live holy lives, to experience holy love with and for each other. That same power that was at work in Christ when he was raised from the dead is at work in us. And we don't get there overnight. We don't go from zero to 60 instantaneously. I'm in a group of pastors who've been working collaboratively on this sermon series. J.D. Walt is a part of that group. And he said, this journey that we are on is a journey of attention and attunement. where we are paying attention to God and we are attached to one another, in tune with one another and in tune with God, who is striving with all of his energy that is so powerfully at work within us. And I'm so sorry that we've made the gospel about sin management and behavior modification. Just just try harder, do better. It's okay. We've left each other to do a dead man's float in the water. And that's exactly why the church is where it is today. I wanna say two things real quickly. First and foremost, Jesus did not die that we might be neat, neat, Christians, that we might have a, a good and decent life. Jesus died and he is better than life. And he wants to take up residence inside of us, inside of me. And that's the other thing. It's not about me and it's not about you. It is all about us. Christ getting inside of each one of us. What would my life look like if Jesus Christ were in it, walking around in my shoes, Church, what would the city of Tyler look like if Jesus Christ were in this place inside of us walking around Smith County, Tyler, Texas, into the world? It might be incredible. Holy dying is required so that we might experience holy living, and that is only shaped and formed by holy love. As I put this message together, I've also put a a funeral message together for a dear friend of mine named Bob Bandy. And on Friday, we celebrated his life. And I'll never forget, he's one of the first persons I met here at Marvin Church down at the Elm Street exit next to the carport. He was waiting for his ride to pick him up one Sunday morning. He had his hat on. He had his orange soda with a straw sipping out of it. And he was sitting there waiting and we met Bob and fell in love with him. A few days later, Leanne and Marcus were driving to church, and they saw Bob on the side of the road near Amherst and Broadway hitchhiking, and they picked him up. That was Bob's preferred method method of transportation, hitchhiking. They picked him up, brought him to church, and that began a Wednesday night routine that was a part of our life for two years. Leanne and Marcus picked him up and got him here. I took Bob home and got to know him, and all of that time in the car, all the experiences that we had, we, I got an education. There's a lot to know and love about Bob, like he is a storyteller, and image means a lot to him. And so I heard about how he finagled his way into uh, the inauguration, or the Super Bowl, or the State of the Union address because he knew people and knew how to position himself to get into those places. But I also know that Bob lived a hard life and he had some struggles at work and personally and burned a lot of bridges. And what I experienced in the last week of Bob's life was an awakening, was the fruit of a long season of prayer by many people. And Bob dropped his guard last week of his life, he made amends many times over. He asked people for forgiveness. He told them that he loved them. We talked about the resurrection. He was sure as he could be that Jesus Christ died for him and that he was going to spend an eternity with him. In Bob's last days, there was fruit. And you know that that seed that was in Bob and produced that fruit. That seed had been inside of him for a long time. And I think Bob would say to us, if he were here, don't wait for the last week of your life. I think Jesus would say the same, don't wait. Don't waste your life. Holy dying and holy living is shaped and formed by holy love. Church, we don't have a content problem. There is a lot of material out there. You can watch things online, get involved in a class. We don't have a content problem. We have a connection problem. And we've missed completely what the church is all about and what it's supposed to be. The body of believers intertwines stronger than any root system, connected to our living head, which is Jesus, experiencing his holy love at work inside of us. And that is not sociological. It's theological. It's the reality that is the body of Christ. You might go to church and check the box God wants us to be the church, and my heart for us is that we might be friends with Christ, connected to Him, with friends in Christ, that we might go deep with each other and be real with one another in the context of community, that we might find a few people that we can take the mask off and be real with, known all of our secrets and all of our struggles and all of our successes, that we might experience the power that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and changes everything about everything, each and every one of us. It's not individual, it's corporate. It's not about me, it's about we. And I pray that this morning we run to Jesus and experience his holy fire at work in us because he wants to set our hearts on fire with holy love.